Hello, all. It's me. It's Hannah. It's 9.50 on Sunday. I want to say thank you uh, for joining us today for this really important conversation about mental health. This is my mother and me having a conversation that we've had a number of times before over the course of time. Um, this is a very personal conversation. This is a very moving conversation. I feel very fortunate to have had this conversation with my mom about sort of the state of affairs in our heads, so to speak. I really enjoyed this and I feel like I learned a lot about my mother and me and what's similar about the two of us and what's different about the two of us. And I feel like I grew because of this. Um, I want to say also that I was really tired when we recorded this because it was early in the morning. So forgive me if I sound like I'm falling asleep. Um, I don't want to take up too much time at the top here because I really want to, to get to the conversation. And I want to say briefly, and we say this at the end as well, but we've linked to a whole bunch of resources. If you or someone you know is struggling right now, there are resources in the links, uh, resources and links in the notes, and you can use those. Most of them, if not all of them, are free resources. I know for certain that the National Alliance for Mental Illness I know that their hotline is free and that anybody can use it. I've used it myself. So you know that for a fact. Um, so yeah, that's really all I have today. Thank you so very much for listening and I hope you enjoy the conversation. How are you? Well, good. Can you hear me? Oh, that's the light. Okay, can you hear me? Mm. There's a truck outside. Oh. How was How's, your? Where? How's the air quality where you are? I've been stuffed up and coughing for days. Oh, I don't. I don't. I haven't felt it. I have. Well, I have. I have asthma a little bit, so. It's been it's been a little difficult for me. That sucks. Yeah, LaGuardia Airport was shut down today. So I heard. Yeah, that's not good. So yeah, I'm sure I was I was wondering about Uncle David today, but hopefully he's all right. Yeah, yeah. Sky looks kind of scary out there. It's very scary, actually. Yeah, it is really, isn't it? It's not good. No, it isn't. Very bad. I, it, I know everybody on um, Morning Joe was coughing. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend send me a picture yesterday of uh, the before and after. The before and after, but also the view from the river. Mm. Yucks. Yeah, it's very Mars like. Apocalyptic, but Mars like. Yeah. Um, so I read, uh, I read, or sorry, we're talking about, uh, was it the opioid crisis? Yes. Because you read an article or something? Is that right? Mm, well, not that I've read an article. I sent you the subject today is, well, why don't you describe what we were going to talk about? 
I don't even remember. I think we were just going to talk about, because we were talking the other day about how, um, when I was at the music festival the other day or the other weekend, mm -hmm. they were giving out free Narcan to folks. Correct. Which I'd never seen before. Yes. And I thought it was interesting um, because I don't know, I'd never seen that at a music festival before. People well, used to, I can. Well, that used to only be dispensed in, emer in an emergency room. In or, emer by, or by EMTs in the, in the field. Right, which by that point, it may be too late. Correct. Which, as I think and I commented to you, if, it, if you had actually, if you had approached them or if they were giving out instructions, which I thought as a parent and as a funeral director, I think it was, it's a refreshing thing mm. to be able to have access to something like that because then it prevents that horrible situation yeah. of uh, accidental or preventable overdose. Yeah. And I think that there are so many situations that can be prevented. Right. And, uh, and then you said you wanted to talk about that particular situation from a, per a parent talking to an adult child. I was more curious about, like, as a parent, you know, watching communities sort of be decimated by these drugs. Like, I, I, if I can't, you'd have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do remember there was a, someone in, I don't think it was my high school class, but there was someone within the years that I was at high school and Sharon, someone died from a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember what exactly the story was, but there was a young student that died because of access to drugs. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't remember exactly what mm -hmm. pill it was, but it was because the parents had had it in the house or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it made the rounds in the community, I think, for folks listening who aren't native to this part of Massachusetts. It's a very small town most people know everyone or knows of if you don't know a person directly you know of the family or you know of a person or something well so, just you know to speak, yeah to speak to that i think the the general idea of what you're asking is that when this scenario in general happens because it happens in every everywhere right when anyone passes away of um, a suspected overdose because that particular, the cause of death is really private information. Mm -hmm. And I think that the initial assumption, and that's the key word, assumption, is that 
it's a drug overdose. If a young person passes away, then the quick assumption is, oh, it must be a drug overdose. Mm -hmm. Which from a funeral director's perspective is bothersome because first of all, it's a confidential piece of information. Secondly, why would anyone jump to a conclusion? And thirdly, the family is dealing with an entire host of emotions that why would they need to deal with that kind of um, uh, stigma? I mean, there's a lot of stigma anyway, and there's a lot of um, emotion that they have to deal with in that circumstance to begin with. And yeah. um, so people jump to a conclusion. And of course, in any small town, they're already dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. Right. So to speak to that, I mean, maybe the kids in a high school know certain things that the family doesn't, right. but, um, and of course, inside of a home, there's a whole nother thing that happens, right? So the family dynamic is different. So there are a whole bunch of things that happen. It's right. all, it's all tragic though. Yeah. I guess the other thing that I was more trying to get at is like, what goes through your head as a parent, like not as a business person, what goes through oh, your head as a parent? It's horrible. It's, it's, it's just a nightmare because every parent never wants to have that happen to their child, no matter what is happening in someone else's life. No parent wants to receive any phone call or to walk in and find their kids. No, it's, it is a, it's out of order um, in the life span. No parent wants to bury their child first before them, um, it, no matter what age they are. Um, whether you're an 85 year old parent or a young parent, because uh, if you're a parent of a young child, or a parent of an older child, you're still their parent. Mm -hmm. So um, you try to prevent harm to your mm -hmm. child. And if it is a accidental situation, mm. whether it be your child gets into the laundry detergent, you child-proof your house, you go through different stages with your mm -hmm. kids, to prevent all kinds of things. And I was thinking about this after we talked, when we, we were discussing this episode. I mean, you know, when my brother and I were born, my brother was what, 50, it was 55 years ago. We didn't, there weren't even seatbelts in cars. I mean, I, what did my mother do? Throw them in the back seat on the way home from the hospital. You were in like a child safety seat, right? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of incredible to think what was available for safety then as opposed to now right so you know i think that she came he came home in a bassinet or something in the back of a seat in the back seat you came home in like this you know um it was like a brinks truck mm -hmm. thing i mean the differences are incredible compared to what was available then and now it's a, we didn't have cell phones yeah. So the safety issues that you deal with as a parent when you have when you become a parent 
it's all a series of letting go. And of course, you try to do the best you can. And if, if you know, I have colleagues who have this personal experience who can speak to it a little bit better, but I do think you feel a whole host of feelings, failure, um, frustration, anger, sadness. Um, no one ever wants to receive a phone call when your children are out that something horrible has happened. Yeah. Uh, when we first dropped you off at Emerson, in the two o'clock in the morning, every phone number we had given them rang at what, 2.30, because there had been a stabbing somewhere around Emerson's campus. And I thought, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I remember. So, oh yeah. And I remember you called me or dad called me or somebody, I woke up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, are you okay? Are you okay? What's going on? I haven't heard. And you guys are like talking to each other. Like, is she all right? Is everything okay? And I'm like, I was asleep. Well, yeah. Every emergency number rang because someone somewhere near the campus within the perimeter had gotten into a knife fight. And then what happened the next morning is I went downstairs to get breakfast at the Einstein, at what used to be the Einstein Brothers Bagels, mm. and there was caution tape out front and like a blood stain on the sidewalk. Right. Like it was right there. It was really. Yeah, well, even from that point, that was how many years ago was that? A long, many. Feels like it. Think about what's changed in terms of safety or what's happened in the world from that year to now. Like one could argue it's gotten worse. Right. So morning. So in terms of what parents think about when they send their kids to school, even. <clears throat> and how do you deal with it? Like, how do you the anxiety? Yes. I think some parents deal with it better than others. Mm -hmm. I think there was one That's day you deal with it. How I how I deal with it, but not sometimes not well. Right. Uh, I think there's, we deal with it, honestly, it's because dad's a filter, dad's the filter. So if I'm having an issue with my anxiety, I will ask him if he's heard anything from you guys. <laughs> and that's really, and because I have seen so much pain from yeah. different parents and um, and I won't speak to individual situations because they're confidential, but, and I remember them specifically, but, and I, as I'm sitting here, I remember them. So I won't speak to them specifically, yeah. but it's very difficult to separate myself from those yeah. when I'm speaking about the two of you. Right. So when I'm talking, when I'm asking about, or when I've, or when you got, when you two are out in your lives mm. and um, I haven't heard from you, or let's say I pick you up on Mother's Day and you're in your room and I can't just, you know, in Emer at Emerson that day and there's nobody there and I can't go up and get you because the dorm is oh, that's, locked. Oh, that was the day that somebody did bang on my door. Well, yeah. So I realized that I can't just walk up into the dorm and just knock on your door. 
and you're not answering your phone and I'm sitting in my car and I'm thinking, I can't get in touch with her. I don't know where she is. And I call dad and I think, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then my mind goes to, this is why I'm the way I am. Well, here's the thing. My mind goes, every parent's mind goes to, oh, when did I talk to her last? How am I going to get in touch with her? They probably just, don't go so into man. They probably don't go into a panic mode, but I go to into a place that no one else goes. I'm going to the medical examiner's office. No one's ever. Who else has been there? I was asleep that day too. I remember. You were that. asleep. I remember this because that was the day that. A I got a bang on my door and I thought something, I thought I was, well, I was in trouble. So what happened was a banging on my door and I wake up like, what's it, what's this going on? And this guy in a police officer's uniform who worked for the school is at my door. And he said, your mom is downstairs. Well, downstairs, I'm thinking I, I had to park the car on Tremont Street. You got I had to go to the the campus police, and so I go walk up to the counter, and I said, "I'm Hannah Wolf's mother. I'm here to pick her up. I can't go upstairs. She's not answering her phone." And then this old time, probably retired Boston police officer, now campus police officer, walks in, and I and he looks at me, and I know I have no color in my face. I know it. I'm standing there with my phone in my hand. And he said, what's going on? I said, I'm trying to get in touch with my daughter. She's not answering her phone. And he said, when the last time you hear from her? And I said, yesterday afternoon. What was she doing? She was, well, I don't know. I told him. And then all of a sudden, your, my phone rang with your name on it. And he said, deadpan. He said, fucking kids. And well, he walked away. And somebody had to go, not the RA had to go knock on your door because that you woke up and you watched a movie till three o'clock in the morning and that was fine. But my mind is thinking she went to go see that kid in the fence and I'm going to have, I don't know where he lives. I don't have his number. I don't know where he lives. And I'm thinking she walked home by herself. That's really dangerous. And I'm thinking of all so, the streets between there and here. And I'm thinking I'm never going to find her again. Mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is why I am the way I am with my friends because you, I think this <laughs> explains so much of my anxieties about not hearing from friends. That's like, right. And it's a good thing to be like healthily concerned about your people. I know. But also like, I have always, ha I have that tendency to do the same thing of like reaching out a million times until a person gets back to me. And it's well, like, it's, and, and I, I appreciate this in a certain sense, but like, does it ever occur to you that perhaps like, maybe it's a little too much? Uh, it has, and I've tried to rein it in. And so I. I have fully acknowledged that I understand why. Yeah. I, I didn't have any colleagues that, that I knew of who became mothers young and funeral directors at the same time. I didn't know of any 
who I could sit around and commiserate with, who dealt with the emotional uh, impact of losing a baby mm. or being a mother, a young mother as a funeral director and dealing with the death of a child or that the parental issues of being a parent, mother, parent, you know, those maternal instincts as well as being that and seeing all of that at the same time and having all of that, you know, the hormonal stuff, everything that goes along with being a mom right. and a parent and trying to manage all of the mental um, impact of being both at the same time while raising you both and trying to manage all that. So I didn't have really a female counterpart who was sort of growing up with me at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it didn't take me until very recently to understand the full impact on myself and you both. But at least now we can talk about that and I can understand it in the grand scheme of things. And we can talk about it as a, a family of four mm -hmm. and I can acknowledge it and I am aware of it and know when it's happening. Yeah. And sort of trying to talk myself out of it before I get too crazy. Did you ever think to like go to therapy for it? You know, Yes, I've tried, but I don't know that there is much I can do about that because there are so many variables that I can't control that there's at some point my brain just goes to a place I can't stop it from. And then I just have to deal with my myself because mm -hmm. it, it in the middle of the night or, you know, 12 o'clock or 1230 or when something is spiraling out of control, I have to learn how to manage my own emotions. Yeah. And so I just, it really is about managing myself and understanding what's happening and trying to reel it in myself and I, and understanding it. Right. But there are times when, and I go back to being in an office and picking up a phone and remembering a certain situation. And then I just can't come, I can't come back from that. Yeah. And then remembering and thinking about the two of you. So it's hard. How do you deal with it? Just, I don't, I don't sleep. I'll watch endless television. It's an, I'll just watch television in my own actively try to deal with it oh i do by I'll, doing uh what i'll throw on television i'll just but you don't meditate you don't i, don't, I can't there's it. no meditation yeah. no there's like mindless television just throw on some sort of whatever's on television that will distract me from the horrible thoughts that it has to take me out of that thought pattern but i can't try to still the thought no way no way i can't read a book can't listen to music can't meditate because the thought the brain the mind is going to overpower that so i have to just mindlessly have the television on and then the night will pass two three four o'clock in the morning the television will be on yeah and then i you know that's how it goes 
-hmm. I won't be able to do, you know, I might clean a closet, I might clean a room, I might clean a bookshelf, something that is completely mind, you know, takes the mind completely out of that thought process that has nothing to do with trying to still the thoughts because the thoughts will go right back to that one place. So then when you're at work mm -hmm. and there's a family that calls about this mm -hmm. kind of thing, something happened with their kid, mm -hmm. what's that experience? I'm right with that family. Yeah. I'm right in with that family. It's a different, my, my professional instincts go to them. Mm -hmm. It's a different experience because it's their experience now. So when I answer the phone, even if I were in my own experience at home in the middle of the night, if my phone rings, then it's them. And that's true of any middle of the night thing. So if I'm experienced, if I'm sleeping like and the phone rings, I'm sorry. Does it keep you up? What? This sort of like when you get a phone call like that and you sort of like drop into work mode, mm -hmm. right? Yes. You don't, it doesn't linger. I won't be able to go back to sleep or I don't fall back to sleep completely. Right. Yeah. I, I've never really been able to go back to sleep uh -huh. after I receive a phone call from a family uh -huh. until any uh, family, any family really, but until I know a certain, really any family, I never am actually able to completely go back to sleep mm. Yeah, because I'm now connected to their uh their You're situation that. yeah i'm in that and that's that's just me i don't know that everyone is like that but i am and i have things to do for them right. so i always i've never been able to really settle back down yeah i just did and, yeah yeah and i i don't know that everyone's like that mm. Yeah, I think so. I don't know, but I'm not. Mm. Yeah. And there are a series of things that need to happen. And, and I just have never been able to completely relax right. enough to right. fall back to sleep. So, mm. and I think maybe if I, even if I were in a funeral, if I lived in a funeral home, I don't know if it's different if you actually live in a funeral home, but mm. I don't, maybe because I'm not actually there. Yeah, but I don't think, you know, but, you know, listen, I think the, for, obviously for any person who gets this phone call, any loss is horrible, yeah. but for a parent, there's nothing, it's, there's just, nothing and and for for we were talking we started this with the opioid crisis right mm -hmm. um and i just wanted to say i i printed out some 
information. This was from the National Safety Council um, injuryfacts.org. These are all preventable um, uh, overdose deaths. Hold on. Between the years, this is all related to opioids. It has nothing, no other drugs. This was statistics between the years of 1999 and 19, uh, 2021. And I can provide you these for you, Hannah, so you can post the website properly on our description. But between 1999 and 2021, 1999, the preventable deaths between the ages of 15 and 84, they were 1999, 8,168, 2021, it was 75,000 people, 785, any opioids, preventable deaths. So it's, it's a really tough thing. And, um, because it's act, some of the, you know, some of those were by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, Centers, this is a source of Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, National Center for Health Statistics. Um, but how does that? Well, I mean, I think yeah, how that, does it, the, the question really is, is not so much about the, the information, it's how does the information impact you? Like when is, you read that mm -hmm. as my mother, our mother, mm -hmm. Like, what does that do to you? So what that does to me is if both of you both you deal with anxiety or both of you are in at a party, both of you go out in the world, if you're, um, you know, if, if, um, if something is, if you're exposed to something, any parent, if you're out in the world and you have, happen to, um, choose a resource or, or there's some sort of, particularly with the fentanyl exposure now, I mean, there's so many risks to sourcing, right? It, it can be accidental. Yeah. You know, like that. So you got to make sure that you get the right information, get the right medication, get the right you know, don't just, if you need help, get it. If you're not feeling right, get it. Yeah. There's help out there. If you're not feeling good, if you're not, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with depression, if you, you know, we've always kept our line of commu communication open. And uh, so the other question then, of course, is because mental health has always been like a thing in our family. Like, mm -hmm. I remember being in therapy since I was a little, little kid. Mm -hmm. I, I was talking about this with friends yesterday that I had to go through two separate neuropsychological evaluations, which is essentially, for folks who don't know, is essentially this big, massive test. It's like a day-long test. Yep. And it's a, it tests you for learning disabilities and sort of mental health problems, basically. Like, right. it tries to map out how you process information. Right. And um, it's not a rare thing at all. It's like, I had to do it too. Yeah, my tons of friends have had to do it. Mm -hmm. But two of them, 
and I was in therapy forever, and I had occupational therapy, I had ADHD therapy, all kinds of things. I went through cognitive behavioral therapy. Like, it's it's a learn. It's trying to help you figure out how to learn. Yeah, but also like how to deal with my my thoughts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big proponent of therapy. I love therapy. I think it's a great. It's been of great use to me over the years. Um. I think if I, I don't, I'm very hesitant to like get on the soapbox here and like give people advice because I don't like being told what to do and I don't want to tell other people what to do. So, but what I will say is that if there is an opportunity in somebody's life that you know that you're listening or if you yourself are curious, please go find it. Um, I recommend the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a great hotline um, that I've texted before in times mm-hmm. of crisis. Mm-hmm. They are awesome. It's free. You don't have to pay for it. And if you need someone, they're there for you. Right. They're great. Um, so please, I'll put their information in the in the description. Mm-hmm. Folks need. But my question is more so like, you know, where did that come from? Because I, I can't imagine like you being a child and talking to your mom about your feelings. I started talking to a therapist when I was about 13 years old. Okay. And I don't, so I had my first cognitive. Was it consistent from that period? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, and I remember her, she was awesome. Uh, actually, so I, I, my parents started uh, stuff with my brother, actually. And I think it really is a that it's not so much that you're telling people what to do. And I think when you suggest getting help, you're assuming that if they don't, then you're failing at something. And I think that acknowledging mental health is an important issue is not acknowledging that it's an issue. Right. I think that, um, it's important to talk about because it's not a weakness. No. And One of the most profound things a doctor ever said to me. Great guy. Mm-hmm. And he was really nice. And he was, he spent most of his time. I'm amazed we got as many appointments with him as we did, frankly, because of how. Well, you got so much accomplished in a very few appointments because he yes. didn't treat you like a patient. Yes. So, I was getting to that. He, he, after the marathon attack, mm-hmm. I suffered from what was determined to be like PTSD symptoms. And we found him, I think in psychology today or he something. He was recommended. Oh, he was recommended by someone. Mm-hmm. And he was, he spent most of his time working with veterans. Right. Who mm-hmm. had served in, I think, Iraq and Afghanistan primarily. Mm-hmm. And I walked into his office. He worked in this very like nondescript building in the post office square in Boston. And he was so nice, very, very warm and mm-hmm. kind, had this like tremendous bedside manner. Mm-hmm. If every therapist I'd ever had had bedside manner like that, like who knows where I would be right now. Mm. But anyway, I walked in and he would give me, it was cognitive behavioral therapy is mm-hmm. the, the tool, the technique that he used. And he like explained it to me. Yep. 
about how it was going to work and what we would do. And he told me straight up, he's like, I just want you to understand something. Like you are not sick. Right. You're not ill. You don't have like a cold. You're not sneezing or coughing or something. Like you're not broken. Sick. Like you're, you're sensitive, not broken. You're fine. Like it's, it, it, you know, he didn't use that language, but yeah. you're not ill and it's not, so don't think of yourself as my patient because you're not. And he would give me these worksheets. Mm. So at the time I used to, I got, I was always, I've always been very afraid of eyeballs and like people mm. looking at me and like being seen. Mm. And I, I never wore leggings like as pants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would always wear this like really baggy clothes. I used to be terrified of wearing jeans because like I was terrified of like men looking at my body and mm -hmm. stuff. And so anyway, he would give me the, and I would explain these things to him that it was like, I, I, I felt very like, I don't know. I felt this nerves about being seen and so on. Mm -hmm. And he gave me these sheets and he's he, the you he would give me a task for the week mm -hmm. you're gonna go into school you're gonna wear the thing that scares you you're gonna wear jeans and a sweatshirt or something mm -hmm. and you're gonna take your note sheet and you're gonna put in the you're gonna fill it out and answer the questions and do the exercise and then next week when you come in we'll talk about it mm -hmm. and because i was like terrified of the voices in my head for a long time mm -hmm. and he changed like totally rewired the connections in my brain right so like one of the things that he had me do was because so much of my love of music and books and stuff is because they make me feel less alone mm -hmm. and so what he said was is he said your parents are going out for dinner and your sister is sleeping over at your grandparents house or something Stand in your kitchen all by yourself for five minutes and don't listen to anything and take notes about how you feel. Mm. Nobody had ever asked me to do that before. Mm. And it totally rewired the way that I think. Like for a long time, I was never able to sleep without music. Right. And now I can't sleep with it. Interesting. So I, only, I need silence. And like I'll open my window so I can hear the sounds of the street. Right. I can't sleep with music. I need brown noise. Mm -hmm. Which is sort of an amazing thing. That was I don't know ten years ago or something like that. Might have been longer. I'm not sure. I mean, it was really. I still have his card. He's such a fabulous doctor, and yeah. he's, he works with a great organization. Um, was it the home base? What is it? Run for home base. The run for home base, which is a great. I'll put a link to it in our bio or um, for, our description as well. They run um, for veterans. Yes. So the, the, the Red Sox. I think it's like a five k or something. It's not a very long race, but they they raise money for veterans of foreign wars, and um, it's in concert with the Red Sox Foundation. Yes, and also um, I have a. Great organization. Friend who does yoga for, for veterans too. Oh, Alex. Uh, Alex. Yeah. Shout you her know. out. Our friend Alex. Might, mind wanna, might want to contact her to see if she's still doing some yoga for them. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I have his um, card somewhere still. He was fantastic. And so that, that 
That's it. just goes to show you if you have a great therapist that your life can really change for the better. Yes, and there are resources. There's a great resource for finding therapists that we were able to find a great one for your sister too. Yeah. So we yeah. can find out what that resource is. Yes. It's, they, there are, um, there's a short description of every therapist that's available and what they specialize in. Yep. We can put that resource out there too. Yes. So that you don't have to sort of try to go to each one. Establishing a relationship with a therapist is really difficult and it's sort of yeah. intimidating. But having that number that you called, the other person on the line is trained to answer yes. whatever question you have. And yeah. so that people shouldn't be afraid to call those numbers. Yeah. Because that those moments when maybe they're afraid to call someone because they may be asleep, you know, yeah. I think having that number available is really important. Mm. And it's it doesn't show a sign of weakness to reach out for help. Yeah. And it's his name is Lewis Chow, actually. I have yeah. His name. yeah, he was great. And, um, you know, having those resources there can really help. Yeah. And it, it's preventative, but it's also helpful. Yeah. And because I think anyone who deals with depression or which I have and postpartum depression, I have yeah. and which is very serious if gone untreated. Yeah. Um, and when the edges of darkness come, if people who understand depression and loneliness, mm. uh, it's hard yeah. to describe. Yeah. And it's, I think also the, was it Senator Fetterman? who just came back to work. Yeah, after a depressive episode. Yeah, I think he's done a great service by talking yeah. about it. And but what's amazing to me, I just want to ask you this, mm. even growing up in the 70s and 80s, mm. like there was no shame in your house. There was no stigma. There was no, uh, I mean, there had to have been from some of the elders mm. in the family, right? Well, I remember, I remember my mother when i taught when, when i went to therapy on my own after we sold the business was this with dr king yeah this was the he first was too i was with her for a long time i remember calling my mom telling her what all of my i was dealing with a lot of stuff anxiety mm -hmm. you know ptsd and all kinds of stuff and now my grandmother at that point had been diagnosed with clinical depression. And so I remember saying, telling her what I, my diagnosis was. And I thought, now let me, let me back up a little bit. I remember sitting in the, in the waiting room and I thought to myself, well, I am not a broken person. I'm not broken. Like you can't see. Yeah. I don't have a broken leg. I don't have a broken arm. I don't have a cast. I don't have, stitches but i yes. feel i feel broken right so that was a very distinctive feeling and then i called her and i remember her reaction which was a big sigh mm. and it wasn't a bad thing it was just sort of oh yeah and it wasn't a, a 
a stigma, but I felt it. It wasn't anything anybody said. Yeah. And now my grandmother had been dealing with depression, but it wasn't something that anybody talked about. Yeah. But that was her generation. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't that anybody said anything to me. Um, but I knew a lot of people who were in therapy that just didn't talk about it. But yeah. although I did choose a therapist that wasn't around the corner. Well, sure. I think it was something I did subconsciously. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I did go sort of into, I went underground. I've said that before. I went underground. Mm -hmm. You know, I know how to go off grid, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do that. You go off grid, you want to hide, you want to go somewhere else where no one can see you because you're dealing with a pain no one really understands. Yeah. And you don't know how to explain it. And I think you go to place, you need to journal, you need to write about it. There are ways of dealing with your feelings that you need to learn, right? Uh, journaling. If there's writing, anything that I'm thankful for. Mm. But I grew up in a house where there was no stigma around feeling shitty. <laughs> or expressing I, how you feel. Right. And I, I, think, I, yeah. I, as dark as it got for me at, I don't know, 12, 13, mm. even then, even when I hit the bottom, mm. I can still talk about it. Well, I, like, think, I think dad and I might have had a conversation about making sure we never stopped talking to the both of you. Yeah. Ever, ever. I, I can't, I remember some kind of conversation, something like somewhere, make sure we always communicate with our kids, whatever it was. And then when we got the phones, even if we were, even if I was texting you, I always, 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 made sure whatever happened in the day. Now that's not to say that would guarantee nothing would ever happen, but at least I knew I was keeping the line of communication open and I was still trying, right? And I think that was at least all I could do. And no matter what we were dealing with, then we were at least trying. Now that doesn't say we didn't have major challenges. Every parent, every person has challenges. And believe me, there were some really tough times, right? It's not easy for any, anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, it's, it wasn't easy for anybody. Anybody mm -hmm. that says it's a cakewalk, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. For them, maybe. But I never hid my feelings. Yeah. I think if I hid what I was going through with you guys, I would have probably ended up with no stomach. It probably would have, the acid would have just eaten my stomach. I mean, you know, if I was freaking out about something, then it just came out of my mouth. Sorry mm -hmm. for the swear words, but it just did. And I think you learned every word in the book for me. Absolutely. I will take full responsibility for the, the, the swear words that came out. That was me because I had no other way of expressing it. Yeah. Um, driving into Boston with me is a, is a, is a interesting it's ride. Because um, I don't know, I, I guess. So, you know, look, I think that ultimately you try to do the best you can and trying to be expressive. Yeah. Is, is what you, 
helping, yeah. being able and allowing people to express their feelings, whatever they may be in the moment. Mm. Now, I had some pretty tough times. I got rejected from five schools on the same day. My dad allowed me to just express my feelings and they were not nice feelings. Yeah. So I guess the lesson here is don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. You're allowed to ask for help. You should ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. There is help available to you. Yes. Plenty of it. Yes. Regardless of your situation or who you are, or where you are, or what's going on. Yes. Folks that are ready and willing to help you. And it ultimately will be okay. Yes. You this know? This too shall pass. That's right. That's right. right. Um, I want to say something that's going to be sound really harsh, but you only get dead once. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you can't come back from dead. Yeah, and, and, and there are a lot. It's really the reality is. It's there's a way out. Yeah, the, 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 a, the reality is. Um, there's a way out. Yeah. And life and the, is better. Life at the world is better with you in it than with you out it. Right. The David Foster Wallace said in his This Is Water speech that capital T truth is about life before death. Mm. So choosing what to think is really important. Right. So yeah. That's what I have today. Yeah, it's a tough subject. But, but I'm glad we had to talk about it. Yeah. Well, me too. It's. I I hope that people if people out there have questions, they should send in emails because. Sure. And ask us if we want to talk about it again. If there's more stuff they want us to cover about it, then please send in questions. Yeah, we'll leave an email in our description here. Yeah, we can leave both emails about it. Sure. And Sophie is going to write a blog about her experience. Okay. Because she has her own individual experience, which was also our experience. So that's something that she's going to contribute. Good. And so I'm sorry. I said, so look out for that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll leave a lot of the resources and some books, book recommendations and things below. Yeah. So Hannah, I love you. I love you too. I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. I love you. See you later.